All right, this week, we're gonna start with a game. Uh, I wanna see if you can tell the difference between what's real and what is fake. Now, most of us at one time or another uh, have seen some pretty nice things. Things like Rolexes, Louis Vuitton bags, diamonds big enough to see our own faces in the reflection. Uh, but are we familiar enough with these to know the difference just by looking at them? So first up, two different Louis Vuitton bags. Can you see which one is which? One is $25 in New York City up a creepy staircase in a shady back room. The other is a couple thousand dollars at Phipps. So what do you think? Can you tell? Look at the design. You'll see the fake one is disproportionate from side to side, whereas the other one is proportionate. Good job. All right, last one. Let's look at diamonds versus cubic zirconia. All right, so hopefully this game won't get anyone in trouble. <laughs> okay. Guys, take a look. Can you see a difference? In, in a diamond, it's a gray color. In the cubic zirconia, it's a lighter color. All right, so it's safe to say that the way we know whether something is real or fake is by the evidence, right? Knowing the standards set forth by the creator or craftsman will always point you to the real thing. Now today, Randy is answering the question, is Jesus the only way? So please give your attention to Randy Pope. So good morning and uh, glad to have you here again. If you've been with us in the past, if you're new with us, welcome to you. Let me give you again a little summary of where we've been so that you can follow. And uh, if you'd like, go back and pick up what you've, you've missed here. This is called Investigative Forum. Uh, it's an opportunity to be able to investigate uh, the claims of Christianity for its legitimacy or, or whether it's not. In doing so, we've looked at the, the first question of how does a person find life satisfaction according to what the Bible says, which raises the second question which we addressed, how would we even believe that this thing written so long ago could ever have been, or even if it ever was, remain such that we could believe it? Why do we think the Bible is God's word, even without error? So we addressed that one. And then last week, we talked about good people. How is it that the Bible could say of good people that all people, including good people, deserve to be separated from God for all eternity unless they come into a relationship with this person, Jesus. How, how could we ever believe that? Which raises the question that we look at today, which is going to be, how would someone believe that of all the religious leaders that have ever lived, that Jesus is the one and the only way to God? Because that seems to be awfully narrow in the thinking of the world today. Then the last question that we address today as well, and that is, well, what does Jesus say is required to have eternal life? Well, it, maybe we find merit in him being who he claims to be. Then what does he say is required to have eternal life? By the way, if you'd like to go back and hear anything that we've already done, it's, it's online. You can go to perimeter.org slash if answers, if answers, and you can come uh, pick up and be where we are. Now, the question about Jesus, the one and the only way to God. What makes us think such? There's a verse in John 14, it's verse 6, and it goes like this. May be familiar with most all, it goes like this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. 
Uh, that's the claim of all claims of the Bible that has drawn the greatest criticism to the faith of Christianity in this regard. If I am ever criticized for anything as I'm talking about my faith to someone else, the accusation that I'm going to hear is that I am intolerant. And that's what people will say of, of Christianity at large. The problem with Christianity, we are intolerant. Because we're a people who say, no, 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 only Jesus. Where the other people who have other beliefs say, look, we're okay with your beliefs. And, and you believe what you want to believe, and we'll believe what I... Why do you have to be so intolerant of us? We're not intolerant of you. Which, by the way, that's not true of all religions who would, would say that it doesn't matter which way. But that's the general accusation that I've heard. I, I like to use an illustration that I think puts this thing to, to rest, in my opinion at least. You have to make your decision. Imagine that, imagine that I'm with you at a luncheon, and uh, we're having a nice, enjoyable time talking to one another. And, and I say, excuse me, I need to run to the restroom for a minute, and I'm excused. I walk past the opening to the kitchen, and I overhear our waiter talking to apparently a cook. And the cook says to our waiter, you know that guy that, 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 you're, that you're meeting with, uh, that you're serving over there? And they're referring to you who I'm having lunch with. And he says, I hate that person. I'm going to kill him today. And I listen to that and I stop. They don't, they don't realize I'm there. And I, I listen. I say, what? And he pulls out a little vial and it, it's got some kind of liquid in it. And he says, this is cyanide. I'm going to put it in some cookie batter. I'm going to make up some cookies. And I'm going to ask you to take them to the table and just say, oh, there's someone who wanted to gift this to you. They, they just uh, yeah, admire you and wanted to do this anonymously. And leave the cookies. And then when, when that person I hate so badly takes that cookie, within minutes, he'll be a dead man. Well, I hear that and I go, oh, my goodness, I can't go to the bathroom now. So I rush back with the intention of telling my friend who I'm having lunch with, of the conversation I've just heard, and then I began to think, I don't know this person that well, and they, don't know, they, they may think I'm crazy. And so maybe it's a joke, maybe it's not real, I'm not even going to say anything. But sure enough, about the time it would take those cookies to be prepared, that waiter walks up and says, oh, by the way, someone wanted to gift this to you. And you see that and you go, oh, thank you so much. I love these cookies. These are my favorite. And I go, oh, no, 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 no. Don't eat that cookie. What do you mean? It'll kill you. I promise you that cookie will kill you. Oh, come on. Are you one of those sugar crazy guys? You know, come on. A little sugar ain't going to hurt you. Come on. And so you pick up the cookie. And I say, no, don't eat the cookie. Why not? Well, this is what I heard. I walked by and I heard this, da, 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 and somebody's trying to kill you. And so you look to me and you go, you got to be crazy. What have you? And you take it and you begin to put it in your mouth. And then I ask this question. I've, done, I've asked this many, many times. What should I do when you start to eat that cookie? And this is what I hear every time. I hope you'll grab my hand and stop me from eating. And I'll look at that person who's called me intolerant, and I'll say, let me ask you this. Why am I not being intolerant now? Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe it was a joke. 
And maybe those cookies are perfectly fine. But as long as I believe what I believe to be true, and that truth that I think is truth at least is going to hurt you real badly, maybe kill you by eating that cookie, it would be only love that would grab your hand and say, stop. I've said to many a person, hey, look, you can call me, you can call me crazy. You can call me stupid. You can call me wrong. You're not going to see me get upset. But I tell you what, if you call me intolerant, I'm going to challenge you on that one. I don't think Christians are being intolerant. But the question is, are they right or are they wrong? Is Jesus the only way to God? Well, Christians believe so and therefore want to help people. If he is the only way of God, then we have to say, no, 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 no. No other way. You've got to follow Jesus. I remember getting a phone call one day, and it was, a, it was in the, the late afternoon, and, and the, the fellow who called me was a man 20 years my senior probably. Uh, he was from another state. I knew him but not well, and he called and said, look, this is, this is a life or death question, and I'm asking you to help on I've got a, a, an old partner, a friend of mine, a partner who he and I have been best of friends. He's a bit younger than me, maybe a little older than you, Randy. But he and I have been partners in a very profitable company in Virginia. He said he and I had a big fallout. I mean major fallout. And uh, he went into competition against me, went, moved to North Atlanta, went into competition with me, and he, uh, and he decided that he was going to take me on. And his business has failed. His marriage is failing at the same time. He's just now, moments ago, called me. He says he's sitting in his living room at his home in North Atlanta. He has a pistol in his hand. And he called me, the, the fellow who's talking to me, his name Jim. He called Jim. And Jim said, he told me, he said, look, I'm ending life. I've, I've got a pistol in my hand. I, I'm, I'm ending it right now. There's just one thing I have to do before I take my life, and that's to make things right with you. We've been good friends for a long time. I'm sorry for everything, the way it fell out, but I've had enough, and it is over. Well, my friend begged him not to take his life. In fact, he challenged him. He said, I'm going to ask you to do one thing, just one thing, before you ever take your life. Would you call a friend of mine in Atlanta, there where you are, his name is Randy, would you call him? He said, I've given him your phone number. By the way, he's one of the most brilliant men I've ever met. This man that I'm talking to on the phone happened to be very, very close friends with a man most of you will never know of, you don't know his name, but his name Francis Schaefer, Dr. Francis Schaefer, who at that time was known as the greatest intellect of the Christian faith, probably lived in Switzerland. Incredible, incredible person. Now deceased. But he said, I gave my friend, I gave him a trip, paid full to go see Europe and spend a vacation in Europe as long as he spent a half a day with Dr. Schaefer that I arranged where he could spend with the world's greatest Christian intellect, perhaps, at the time. He said, he came back. I said, how was it when you met with, with Francis Schaefer? He said, I like that old man. He's a good man. He said, I think I helped him a lot. I explained a lot of things to him. He said, Randy, that's who we're dealing with with this guy. He is hard, and he's brilliant. He said, if he calls you, he may be dead, but if he calls you, you get to him immediately. I said, yes, sir, I will do that. Well, sure enough, minutes later, the phone rings. It's this guy. 
He doesn't tell me he's suicidal. He doesn't talk about a gun. He says, hey, I got some big issues in my life. Things aren't going too good. Talk to Jim, and he's a friend of yours, and he said, you're the guy to talk to. Could I, could I spend a, you know, a few minutes just talking with you? Maybe it'll help. And if not, if you're busy, that's okay. No big deal. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. Let me come. I'm, I'm free, in fact, this evening, early evening. Let me come, and I'll meet with you. So I go to this incredible house, which I found out he'd made more money in his industry than probably anybody in the country. Very well-to-do man. I walk into this palatial home, and as I get there, we begin to talk. He knows nothing about me. He just knows my name is Randy. And I said, I said, did you know I'm a preacher? I'm a Christian preacher. Do you know that? And he goes, no, no, he didn't tell me that. He said, I don't buy your Christianity. I said, that's fine. I said, would you want to talk though? And, uh, and I said, can I show you a little diagram? And I showed him the diagram that I showed you in week number one. And he got intrigued enough. He said, I'd like to meet. But when I said the four things that we're going to talk about, these questions that we're looking at week to week, when I got to this one, the third question being, how can a person believe that of all the religious leaders that ever lived, Jesus is the only way to God? I want to tell you what, he slapped his hand on the table and he said, no. He said, you will never convince me of that. I said, wow. I said, I'm not saying I will convince you. I just want to give you the data of why. He said, I'll take you on on that one right now. He said, see those books? He pointed to the coffee table. Those are Eastern religion books. I've traveled the world looking at religion. You will never convince me. You will never convince me that Jesus is the way to God. I said, well, I may not, but I can at least tell you why I believe it. Well, the next week when I got to, he, he said, can we just go ahead and do it right now? Let's just talk. I said, no, 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 that's week three. I thought I'd keep him alive out of curiosity at least for three weeks. <laughs> and I said, no, 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 that's week three. Well, when I got to the door after week one, which he was really intrigued, but I, he, he came, he said, can we go ahead and hit that book one? Because we have four little booklets that had each of these questions in it, six pages or so, the little tiny booklets, like cliff notes to read the answers. And like, can we go ahead and hit that? Can we hit that third one? No, 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 that's, that's in two weeks. And then we hit the topic we talked about last week, good people. And then when we came to the third week, each time he'd said, can we go ahead and hit that question? So I get to the door and I said, this is your week. This is what you've been waiting to talk about. I'm going to pause the story there. And I'll explain what happened and why it happened later. But here's the question. How do you ever explain this idea that Jesus could possibly be the one and only way to God? So what I'd like to do right now, I'd like to walk through with you uh, four considerations when investigating uh, the question here at hand. So you have information there, just a little outline of what we're go going through. Feel free to use it and follow. Here they are very quickly. It won't take me but just a minute. Number one, the fulfilled Old Testament prophecies regarding Jesus. You see, Jesus claimed to be Messiah, which meant deliverer. And when he talked to define deliverer, he says, I'm delivering you not from the Roman Empire, which many Jews thought that would be the case. He said, I'm here to deliver you from your sins. Well, the, the Jewish people were too prideful in their religion, the people of God, to believe this guy could be right, saying that we're the problem people when we're the Israelites. So clues had been given throughout the whole Old Testament. In fact, did you know that there are 300, more or less, right at 300 different what they call prophecies, predictions of what would be true of this person who would be Messiah? 
They were things such as the birthplace, the fam, uh, birth family, uh, how he would die, which by the way is described in the Old Testament and it describes the crucifixion, which was a Roman means of taking life, which did not exist till probably 2,000, nearly 2,000 years later. There was no such thing as crucifixion, but it's described in fair detail. The resurrection, which we're going to talk about uh, a little bit later, all of those things and many, many others are told in the Old Testament. And I happen to be a math major in college, and, and uh, I, I read the statistics of just eight of those coming true. And I think I mentioned in the week number one, the, the number is, is beyond comprehension. It, it just, it couldn't be. But maybe it could. But there are a lot of prophecies. That's just one consideration. Number two, a life of working miracles. Some of you might know the Bible enough to know that there was John, who was called John the Baptist, different from John, the author of the Gospel of John. John the Baptist was kind of a forerunner, as he was called, of Jesus, to kind of prepare people for the coming Messiah. Now, John the Baptist had been put in prison, and John the Baptist asked some of his people that were working with him, hey, I can't go figure this out, but, but go and find out, is this Jesus the one? And so they come to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, John, John wants to know, are you really the Messiah? And this is what he said, he said, you go tell them what you see and what you hear. And included was that, in that was the idea that the blind, they now see, the lame, they walk, lepers, they're healed, deaf, they hear, the dead are raised. He said, you just go, you go tell what you're seeing, what you're finding to be reality. Now, it's interesting that no one ever claimed Jesus didn't do miracles. They always argued if they were his enemies, they argued how, by what power he was doing miracles. Maybe he's doing these miracles out of the power of Satan, the devil. That was their big claim. But it wasn't that he didn't do them. Now, I know that many would be skeptical about whether well, this person really do all these things. For instance, today, you can watch television. And you can see people that are wacko crazies that are on television and they're doing miracles. I'm not saying they're all wacko crazy, but you watch some of them and you go, this person's not legit. Uh, this person's a turn you off. But look, these people are walking, they're getting up out of wheelchairs, they're doing this, they're doing that. I remember having seen that. I, I was so curious to know uh, as a younger Christian, I, I said, how is it that these things are happening through someone who... I don't think legitimately represents Jesus. How does it happen? We happen to have a hypnotist in our church who was a world-known hypnotist. He did shows in Las Vegas. Uh, he's the kind that would make a person get on the, the, the ground on all fours and start barking, thinking they're a dog, you know, that kind of thing. And so I raised it to him. I said, can, can you, do you have any insight into how some of these things are happening? And he said, well, you know that some of them can be psychological healings. We know there's such a thing where people just psychologically begin to believe and certain things they can overcome. He said the body's an amazing thing. But he said most of the people, it's really a form of hypnotism. And I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, I do it all the time. He said, I could do that with people. I said, really? He said, oh, absolutely. He said, I'm in a show in Las Vegas. I'll have a thousand people in an auditorium. And, and I'll say to them, 
hey, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw my hands at you. And when I throw my hands, you will physically feel the wind coming from my hands. And I'm going to ask you to brace yourself because the wind could throw you backwards and I don't want you to get hurt. And he said, then I'll do my hands and I'll do this. And he said, it's amazing how it happens. The first row, second, it's just like a whip. of And everybody said, I felt the wind. Oh, I felt the wind. He said, ain't no wind. He said, I had them believing that before I did anything. And it was through the way I communicated. I put them in a hypnotic suggestion. Not everybody in that crowd, not all of them came into that state. But enough of them did that you could see the crowd. He said, it's just hypnosis. That's all it is. So there are strange things happening, yes. But the interesting thing about those things, they don't go long term. They, uh, there's no such thing as the dead rising. And so the things that Jesus was being claim, or claiming that he was doing and people were seeing him do, those things were long term as best we see through history. Doesn't, doesn't prove anything, but it does give some indication of why Jesus could possibly be who he claimed to be. A third is the resurrection. I, I said when we talked the resurrection in week number two, I think it was, I, it, it really is the most profound of all. If I were investigating Christianity anew now, uh, if I weren't a follower already, that would be my big question. Did he rise from the dead or not? If he rose from the dead, case closed. If he didn't, okay, then, then everything's back open uh, to uh, suspicion. So uh, imagine that I were to say that... Um, that's why the resurrection is so important. Imagine that I were to say, uh, look at me, and, and you see my age, you see my height, uh, you see who I am. Now I'm going to tell you something about me you don't know, and you tell me whether you believe me or not. I'm the greatest basketball player who's ever lived the face of this earth. See, you laugh because you know that's the dumbest thing. You couldn't, there's no way. And I say, oh, no, 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 no. You put me one-on-one -on -one right now. On LeBron James. I don't care who it is. You bring the best of the best. One-on-one, -on -one, I'll whip them every single time. And you go, yeah. I see, so there's nothing I can say to make you believe that? No. I say, well, there's something I can do that would make you believe it that's not even playing basketball. What's that? I say, well, if I were to take a, a pistol, a, uh, you know, a, a high-caliber pistol, and I were to let you test fire it, reload it yourself, and you handed it to me fully loaded, and I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this pistol, and I'm going to point it on myself, and I'm going to pull the trigger, and you're going to see me fall dead to the ground. I want you to call the coroner. I want the coroner to come and write the death certificate, and the very, very second that the pen lifts from the paper from my death certificate, I want you to look at me, and I'm going to lay there, I'm going to open my eyes, and I'm going to say to you, hi, Bill, how are you doing? And I stand up. Now, outside of seeing me play basketball, if you saw me do that, would you believe that I could beat LeBron James one-on-one? And the answer is always, well, yeah. It's the argument, as we say in math, from the greater to the lesser. If this is true, then this is included. It has to be. So here came Jesus saying, hey, I can... I can take you to heaven. I can forgive your sins. I can, I can, I can. Ah, you know, no, no, no. 
He says, all right, here's the deal. You watch, I'm going to die, and three days later, I rise again. If he did rise, that would be a closed case. I uh, mentioned the story of uh, the writing of Flavius Josephus in week one, and it would apply here where he said, as a historian, just a few years after the death of Jesus, and a Jewish historian that was not even a follower of Jesus, he did recognize the death and resurrection of Jesus, which says something as just a historian. The fourth reason would be a legacy of changed lives. You know, that's something that's uh, hard. It's so subjective. Like I can tell you my story. I could be crazy. I may be totally wrong. But when I tell you that this is the way I was in life and then I met Christ and this is what happened to me and the change that took place in my life, well, it's, it's only as valid as the integrity of my heart. Even then, maybe I'm self-deceived. However, you find out that from every age, every culture, every socioeconomic group, uh, it, it doesn't matter what country. You see just thousands upon thousands and hundreds of thousands, even millions, who are telling the same story over history. It perhaps could be legitimate. It's no small thing. I would say to those, say, well, so do people of other religions. Do they? Ask people of other religions. I've talked to them. And when you start asking things about, did you find peace? Did you find new strength? Did you find the ability to? Did you find, you, you'll hear, well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm getting my favor. I'm going to win my way to God. That's a whole different thing. And they may feel good about winning their way to God. But in terms of what we talk about as a Christian faith, the life change, the heart, well, it's an argument, it's a consideration, it doesn't prove anything, obviously. So there is a legacy of changed lives. Let me uh, just read, to finish this question, a, um, a quote by a very noted uh, former, he's, he's no, no longer, I don't think he's alive now, historian at Yale University, uh, uh, Kenneth Latteret. When I studied history back in graduate school, uh, he was uh, considered one of the great historians. This is, what, uh, this is what he said. Through him, movements have been set in motion which have made society for what mankind believes to be its best. The inward transformation in human lives, in political order, in the production and distribution of goods to meet the physical needs of men, in healing physical life, in the relations between races and between nations, in art, in religion, and in the achievements of the human intellect. Gauged by, by the uh, consequences which have followed, the birth, life, and resurrection of Jesus have been the most important events in the history of man. Measured by his influence, Jesus is central in the human story. I take you back to the story of my friend. So I'm with my, my friend now who's, you know, been contemplating suicide, and, and we get to this week. I walk to the door and I say, well, now this is the week you've been looking forward to. This is your day. And he said, yeah, it is. And so uh, we sat down, and I said, now you know what I, these were the four reasons that he had just kind of briefly read about. I said, now you know the four reasons that I could give weight to believing that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Now I'm ready to hear your reasons why you can't believe that he's who he claimed to be. And he looked at me with a stare. I mean, he just stared at me. And I said, well, go ahead. And he shook his head. I said, you don't want to do it? He said, I can't do it. I said, what do you mean? He said, I don't, I don't understand why, but I believe he is who he claimed to be. 
Did, did those four reasons that you read, did that convince you? No. I can't explain it. I, I just think he is. He looked over at his wife who was sitting in with us. He said, what do you think? And she said, this is a couple who's about to divorce. She looks at her and she looks at him and says, I think I believe too. I think I do. Well, she was where he was originally from what I understand. We ended up bowing our heads and them saying, I, I would like to invite, I'd like to invite Jesus to come into my life if that's what, and I explained how and what that was and so forth. Do you know, not only did their life transform, not only did they become members of our church and start growing spiritually, but ended up going back to Virginia into business. From what I know right now, I don't know, I haven't checked of, of any time recent, I would assume that the other man is now deceased, my friend, Maybe he's certainly retired. This man's probably leading the company, but I never heard anything but they were back together. His life was transformed. There's a guy that said it couldn't be. I'll fight you on it. But something changed. And I want to explain here, as I said I would at the beginning, why I've been saying read a little bit of John every day. You see, I told this man, I said, I will meet you on one condition and one condition only. You have to read the little bit of material that I'm giving you to read, but the Gospel of John primarily. You read the six pages that address what I'm telling you, and then you read the Gospel of John, but you read that over and over. I don't care if it's a minute a day. I don't care. It can be an hour a day. But I want you to keep looping. I want you to do it every single day. Don't let one day go by that you don't do that. Because you see, I know that the Bible says of itself something that most people laugh at. It says the Bible is sharper than a two-edged sword and it pierces the heart to bring the truth. And the truth sets you free. And that's why I said to you, you guys, and as you leave here, if you're still skeptic, you still say, but maybe there's something to it, I'm just not there, I'd start taking the Gospel of John and just keep reading it. And keep reading it a little bit every day and say, God, if you're real, you just show me. If he's not, no bill, you, know, you lost nothing. He doesn't show you anything, nothing happens to your life, okay. But if he's real, see if something happens over time as you just a little bit every day, every day, every day. Now, if you'll take out your insert, uh, it has uh, the question, what about other religions? And I'm not going to walk through this and uh, spend the time that maybe I normally would. Uh, instead, I'm just going to kind of show you how the thinking goes here. If you wanted my recommendation on how to investigate other religions, this is how I suggest doing it. You look at the options that are available to you. Option one, none are correct. There's no way to God. All are correct, though they contradict each other. Maybe all of them are correct, or maybe only one is correct. Now, the way I would recommend going about investigating the conclusion that a person has in those, in those three options is to, number one, pick the religions and their leaders which you think have the most merit. I've given you an example of the ones that I think are most noted. The next, pick a handful of the most critical evaluative issues and do a comparative study. I've told you what I think are the most critical issues. That I mean, they are the most critical. They're just an example. This is what I think. Then you look at the religions and their leaders. And take the four that I mentioned. There's a few data there. You can go on the internet, read more about them, find out what you can about them. Then you contrast 
in those same areas the beliefs and take each one of the leaders. What do they say about teaching, for instance, moral life? And I think it's self-explanatory from there. And that's the way I think you can best go about coming up with the uh, uh, with a comparative study. All right. The last thing I want to hit before we get into the to the questions, uh, I, I want to address the question: What is required to have eternal life? What does Jesus say is required? And I want to show you a diagram to begin with. You've got the the boxes of one there. This is a little diagram uh, that I came up with years ago that has been helpful to a lot of people, and it simply goes like this. I'm going to put God here. Everybody who is a theist, meaning they believe in God, everybody that believes in God wants God to like them, especially when we die, all right? Well, there are different ways to go about having that kind of love. There are only two ways every religion falls into one of these two boxes left and right. The first one is, I'm going to call performance. I'll just put the word P-E-R-F for performance, the abbreviation there, performance. So because it's our performing what we do or don't do, I'm going to put the arrow going this direction to God, and I'm going to call this religion D-O, all right? That's what we do for God or don't do because of God. That creates within us, I'm going to put a dash, a particular type of righteousness. It does create righteousness within us. So I'm going to put an R for the word righteous, and then I'm going to put the type of righteousness this is. It's what we ourselves do or we ourselves choose not to do because of God or for God. Therefore, we call it self-righteousness. All right? Now, we think of self-righteous people as people we despise and just don't want to have anything to do with. That's really not true. You and I actually like self-righteous people. What we don't like are haughty, arrogant self-righteous people. We don't care how people become good, whether they do it through this means or that means. We don't care. Religion or not, we don't care. Just we want our kids playing with good kids. We don't care how they get good. So, but Jesus, no, no. He looked right through and, see, man, he despised self-righteousness and he saw something that we don't typically see. And, and so people say, well, what are you talking about? Imagine, imagine that, uh, I'll use you men. Imagine, men that you are a big golfer and you love playing golf and you love your wife very much. And, and so what you're doing is you're, you're, you're going to your work one morning, leaving early Monday morning, and your wife says, honey, there's something I really, really, really want. I know you usually play golf on Saturdays, but I would like a, I'd like a Saturday for me. Would you do that for me? And you go, well, sure, I'll, I'll give up a day of golf. It's, uh, when do you want to do that? Well, how about this Saturday? And, and you know that you'll probably be playing golf. Nothing's been set up exactly. And you go, well, I can give it up. And okay. And so you say, all right, but let me ask you this. Why? What will we do? And she says, oh, I want it to be anything I want to do. Well, what do you want to do? Well, I'd love to, I'd love to re-wallpaper the bathrooms. At least get a start on it. At least one bathroom. And then by noon, we'll shut it down. And we'll go to the mall and we'll shop till they close at 10 o'clock. So it'll be a, a, a good whole afternoon and evening of shopping. And you're thinking, that's the closest description of human hell I have heard. <laughs> and you go, 
but how do you say no? You said you, you, said you would. Yeah, 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 I will. You promise? Yeah, nothing's going to come up and nothing. No, no, nothing. So you're dreading it all week and you're dreading it and thinking, I have to miss golf. And about Friday, you get a phone call as you're getting ready to leave home. And it's your best buddy. He's your golfing buddy. He says, hey, buddy, you're not going to believe this one. We're getting to play the big one, Augusta National. We are. When? Tomorrow. All we got to do is get there, and it's ours to play. We've been, and you're overwhelmed with the, and you're quiet, though, thinking, oh, what about my wife, the promise? Your friend says, you're going to play, aren't you? He says, oh, I'd play if it killed me, knowing it might be prophetic, that it might kill him. So he's thinking, as he goes home, what do I do? How do I? And he goes, well, I've never given her flowers, so he buys these beautiful flowers and thinks maybe the flowers will make a difference. And then he's driving, and he says, eh, flowers are not, probably not enough, and stops by a jewelry store, gets a beautiful, beautiful, expensive necklace, goes walking in. The wife says, who are the flowers for? Not even assuming they'd be for her. Well, they're for you, honey. For me, why? I don't know. I've been thinking how much I love you all, all week long, and I thought, I need to express my love. And she's overwhelmed. She hugs you real tight. And then she says, I will never forget this day, my first day of flowers from you. I, I, will, I will never forget. Well, honey, that's the problem. These flowers are going to die. And I thought, I need something to express my love more than something that will die. So I wanted to also give you, and pulls out the necklace, and she screams, and she hugs you, she kisses you, and she is flirting, I mean, just floating around on cloud nine for the next three hours. And finally, you say, if not now, never, and you say, honey, you like the flowers? Oh, I love them. What about the Oh, I'll cherish it forever and ever and ever. You know, sweetie, there's something I like, too. <laughs> about that time, the head tilts with a little bit of suspicion. And by the time you can say golf, Augusta, Saturday, she's in a rage. And she takes those flowers and she throws them into the trash. Necklace, she breaks off of her neck. She throws it at you and says, you disgust me. Well, did she all of a sudden quit liking flowers? No. Did she dislike a necklace that she once liked? No. It's not the necklace. It's not the, she loved those things. It was the motive behind. And see, what, what God knows is that, oh yeah, I'll, I'll give you some money, and I'll give you some religion, I'll give you some time, and I'll do some good works. But Lord, you're going to do, this is really what I'm asking from you. I need something from you. And that repulses him. Well, there's a different way, and it's called grace. This box has grace in it, and now the line goes from God to grace because it's what He does for us, not what we do for Him. And so this religion is spelled done, D-O-N-E. It's what Christ has done for us. It creates a dash, a type of righteousness, but this is Christ's righteousness that is actually given to us based on what Christ has done. This is where people say, oh, that's where you walk your aisle, you pray your little prayer, and then voila, you're... No, 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 not really, not so. There's another box that you have to fill in down here, and this is the box of love. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that what Christ has done for us compels us. His love for us, not our love for Him, His love for us compels us to obey I'll use the word perform, but not in order that God would love us, but because of his great love. And so I'd ask any of you that some of you might not be so skeptical of Christianity as you are saying, you know, I'm just not too engaged. My, my conviction is not too high. My question would be, 
you know, where did you begin? Did, you, did, yours, did your religion start, let's say, right here and go all the way to here? Or does your religion start here and does it go all the way around? That's the real deal. And so that's the story of what Christianity is all about. It's not just what I do for him. It's what he has done for us. If you follow your outline, it says two beliefs. This is as simple as I know how to make it. Two beliefs. You have to believe that we are sinners, that we have a problem, that the Bible says all of sin falls short of the glory of God. And unless a person believes that, that he deserves the, the eternal separation from God, if we don't believe that, why would he ever go to a solution that is the next point, which is Jesus? And the, the first point about sin, the problem, that's why we talk about do good people really deserve eternal punishment? Or we would never come to the conclusion that we had a problem of sin. Then you come to Jesus as the solution. That's why we discuss today, is Jesus the only way to God? Now here's the deal. I thought that if I believed those two things, that I was actually a sinner and that Jesus was who he claimed to be. Now, I believe that not as a conviction. I believed it because it was a belief. I was raised in a Protestant church, though it was not a church that held to it in a sense of, of transforming your life, where they were serious about their faith, but it was the accepted religion, and people went to church on Sunday, and that was about it. But they, they taught this, and I, as a kid, just believed it because that's the only thing I heard. I would have been a Muslim had I heard Allah. But I believe those things, and I said, therefore, I guess I'm in good shape. And then I learned, as your outline says, the two expressions of trust. I did not know this. There's a thing called faith and a thing called repentance. And you can't have one without the other. They're like two sides of a coin. Faith. It's the story of the tightrope walker, apparently a true story. Whether it's true or not doesn't matter. But the illustration would be, here's the tightrope and it was across a little small portion of Niagara Falls, and the walker would go across and come back. And the people would gather, and they would applaud on the weekends, and they'd throw money in the hat. One day after he'd gone across and back, he says, how many of you believe that I could go across there and back? And he points to a wheelbarrow. And I could take that wheelbarrow, go across and come back without using my balancing beam, but use the wheelbarrow. Well, all the hands went up in the crowd, like everybody believed. And so he did it. He said, well, let's see it. So he goes on, he does it, he comes back. Everybody applauded. He said, how many of you believe that I can put somebody in that wheelbarrow, go across and come back, and all hands go up again? And he says, uh, excuse me, sir, would, would you come get in the wheelbarrow, and, and we'll go do this real quickly. You had your hand up, so, and, and the guy goes, oh, no, 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 I'm not getting in that wheelbarrow. He said, oh, I thought you said you believe. And this is what he did. He said, oh, I believe, as he points to his head, meaning I believe you can do it, but I don't believe when he points to his chest saying, I'm not going to trust you in that belief. The word that is used in the Bible when Jesus said you must believe is the word trust. It's not this intellectual, it's this down here. Truly believe. And the other word is the word repentance. Now, repentance, as I often say, repentance is, is three steps. It's taking the first step saying, you know what? I'm wrong. That's not repentance. Just saying that, okay, God, I've got a problem with sin. Uh, it's another step. It's, uh, you know what? I, 
I'm not only wrong, I'm really regretful that I've done what I've done, that I am who I am. I, I wish it weren't so. I, I, it's not just I'm admitting, admitting it's wrong, but even that's not enough. Hear this. Repentance is that next step, and it's going into the open arms of a loving God and saying, your love is enough for me. Or I like to think of it this way. Repentance is I am walking on a road that I think is just a one-way road, that's all there is, this one road, it's all that exists. But it's got two lanes on it. I happen to be on the right lane, and I feel very righteous about that. Because I'm in the right lane, not the left or wrong lane, and I'm moving along at a certain clip. And then here are these people over here, they're moving along too. Here's the difference in the two lanes. My lane, I feel good about because it's the lane for moral and religious people, particularly Christian people that believe in Christianity. So I feel real good about that. I feel good about my religion. I feel good about my morality. And I'm moving along. These people are in the wrong lane. They're irreligious. They're immoral people. But what I don't realize is we're all moving in the same direction where the signage says living life to one's own glory. Do you know that we can live life to our own glory by being religious and moral? So, but I didn't understand that back when I was first getting involved in the spiritual things of Christianity. I'm just moving along feeling pretty good about it. But here's what happens. There has to be repentance. Do you know the word repentance is literally metanueo? In the Greek language, meta, we use the word metamorphosis. The word nous, or nueo is a verb form. It means knowledge. It's to know. It's a change of what we believe or know. It's a change of direction. So here is where my commitment is. I'm going this way, and then God does something very amazing. He, he brings me into a relationship with Him. Christians will say it's actually God wooing us, not so much us chasing after Him. And what happens is we find ourselves on another road that's across the interstate so to speak and you don't even see it across all the trees maybe but now it's another road it's going this direction but the signage here says living life to the glory of God and some of us are going slowly slowly other people are moving pretty fast all of us are doing this from time to time and going backwards but according to the Bible you cannot turn around on this road you cannot be put back on that road you can fall backwards on this road, but if you're legitimately a Christian, you're always a Christian. There'll always be that heart that says, that's my desire to live for the glory of God. We just kind of stumble along. Some of us go a little faster. Some others go very, very fast. But the idea is there's got to be both faith and repentance. Those two. Now, the last piece that I address is how do you know if you become a Christian? And you'll see that in your, in your outline as well. I think here it's important to show you a little, uh, a little diagram that I've found to be very helpful. A lot of people seem to think that it is. And uh, because I don't want to spend a lot of time cleaning this board, I'm just going to do a good enough job that you can see it, I hope. All right? And it's not going to be pretty. But, Okay. I use this much right here. Here's the cloud of what I call the cloud of doubt. Here's how a person begins to know whether they're a Christian. 
I'm going to put this line, and this line is one's life moving from our left to the right. The point where someone becomes a real Christian, I'm going to put a line, a big line in the middle. That's where a person really becomes a Christian. They have to cross. So this would be someone who's not a Christian. This is someone who is a Christian on this side. I like to put around that what I'm going to call a cloud of doubt. And the cloud of doubt is actually a, uh, an area in which a person will never know whether they're really a Christian or not. But I'm going to give you four stations. I'm going to give you station number one. I'm going to put, pretend like there's a one right here, all right? There's a two right here, a three, and a four outside the cloud of doubt. It, I'm really sorry, you can't see it. But this is station one, this is station two, this is station three, and this is station four, all right? Now, as we look at these stations, this person says, oh, I know I'm not a Christian. No doubt about it. This person says, oh, I know I'm a Christian. I'm absolutely convinced. I really am. But this person doesn't know for sure, and this person doesn't know for sure. This person is not a Christian, but if you ask them, they may say, well, if I had to guess whether I am or not, they could possibly say, I think I probably am, but they're not a Christian. This person is really a Christian over here. And if asked, they may even say, I don't know, if I had to guess, I think probably I'm not. But maybe they are. The point is, you don't really know when you're in these two stations at all. You have to come out this other end before you begin to know. So, I would ask each of you, as you've walked through this, to, to try to determine, to the best of your knowledge, where do you think you are? Or do you say, I, I know I'm here, I'm here at number two, uh, maybe three? You know, you're probably not here if you, if you know you're at number four. Uh, there probably wouldn't be a reason to be coming. But um, that's the idea, is to figure out where are you. i give you an illustration. My youngest son, his name is David. He does not mind me using his story. David always assumed he was a Christian because he was religious, he was moral. His mother and I would say, eh, we don't see anything, but, you know, he was a good boy. I know that. But he got into high school and, and uh, still appeared to us to be a very, very good boy. Uh, seemed to love, you know, to go to the things of church and religion and this, that, and the other and whatever. But we didn't see anything in his life. And I'm having breakfast with him one morning. And uh, he says to me, and we're very close, always have been. He says, uh, he said, Dad, you need to be praying for me. I said, buddy, I pray for you every day. He said, no, no, I mean you need to really be praying for me. I said, well, what do you mean, I really pray? Well, Dad, I'm doing some really bad stuff. I said, really, like what? Well, I'm getting drunk a lot. Alcohol poisoning enough times that my friends are amazed I'm still alive. Um, I said, really? I didn't know he was, you know, maybe a drink here or there. I didn't know. I said, Really? He said, oh, Dad, that's just the start. He said, I'm doing everything there is wrong with, with girls. He said, you know, I, I know what I'm doing, is, but, I, but I'm just, I don't know. I'm just doing everything I've been taught not to do. And I go, really? And he says, Aunt. And I said, no, you know, I don't think I need to hear a whole lot more. <laughs> Privilege of the Father. Don't let me know, all right? But I appreciate you letting me know what you've let me know. But I got a bigger question for you. I said, what's going on? He said, here's what's going on, Dad. I don't want God. I said, you don't want God. That's counter to everything I'd ever seen. He said, no, I really don't want God. But, but Dad, don't get me wrong. 
I'm asking you to pray because I want to want God. I just don't want Him. I want the things uh, that are fun for high school kids like, like where I am and what I'm doing. I'm, I just, I, that's the stuff I want. But I, I, I need something. I know what I need, so I want you to pray for me. So I looked at him and I said, let me ask you a question. I said, are you a Christian? Now, this is a big old boy. And uh, he came up off the table. I mean, he looked at me and he said, Dad, what do you mean am I a Christian? You know I'm a Christian. I said, I do. How do I know you're a Christian? Better question, how do you know you're a Christian? He said, I know because I remember when I was in the such and such grade and I prayed a prayer to receive Jesus and I know I was sincere enough that, that he came into my life. I didn't answer with any words. I made a noise instead. I stared right at him and I went, eh. And he looked at me frustrated. He said, what is that? I said, oh, it's the buzzer. It means you got the wrong answer. He said, what do you mean? I said, you know, there's nothing in the Bible that looks back to anything in the past to determine whether we're a Christian. It's always present tense, and it always had to do with fruit, meaning evidence in the way you live. I don't see that evidence. I'm asking you, do you? He said, well, I don't care what you say, Dad, what you believe. I know I'm a Christian. I said, really? That's your business, not mine. It was four years later, as a sophomore or going into junior year, whatever it was, of college. And he comes downstairs. He's home at a break or whatever. He comes home. He comes downstairs. He says, hey, Dad, you were right. I said, about what? You remember several years ago, you told me you didn't think I was a Christian? And I said, no, I am. I said, yeah, I remember that well. He said, well, you were right. I wasn't a Christian. I said, how do you know that? He said, because I've become a Christian now. And I now know what it is to have God in your heart and actually reigning in your life. It's a different deal. And you watch his life today, oh my goodness, he's a different human now. No doubt about it. Doesn't mean Christianity's right. Doesn't mean that it's all real, that we haven't fabricated something. But it gives the evidence. I'll lay the last thing and then we'll open it to the questions. The last thing is simply this. You look on your notes there, it says three tests. This comes out of the book of 1 John. If you want to know what the tests are, the first is an intellectual test. And you have to pass the first test, which is, do you believe God's truth? Not do you believe it's infallible, there's no error, that's not what I'm talking about, but do you believe what you see God saying? Sometimes it takes Christian experience and growth to come to understand the maturity to embrace the Bible. You have to study it a lot more to figure that out. But all in all, as you see what you think God is really saying, do you, do you hold to what God says? Or do you say, I don't care what God says, I'm going to say what I want to say. Number two test is simply a social test. Do you really love God's family? Do you find yourself drawn toward the people, not that you like their personality or you like this, but do you find that, hey, I love the ways of Christian people in terms of their life and their lifestyle, in terms of belief and surrender and submission, or do you like, no, I like the family I'm a part of, the human family that says do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it, which is closely connected to the next, which is the moral test. Do you follow God's ways? That would be the three tests. And so a person can examine themselves and see where they are. Simple as that. As you look at the cloud of doubt, if you feel as so many people I meet with, they say, you know, I was at number, I was at number one. I think I'm at number two now. 
I say, what brought you to number two? Well, I started listening to you and the things you're saying and, and reading the Bible. And I said, you know what? Those are the very things that are going to take you from two to three and eventually three to four. Don't give up the process. It's worthwhile to keep investigating, keep investigating, keep investigating. Here's what we're going to do next week. I've moved ahead by putting two weeks into one. That's why I took a little longer today. And uh, because what I want to do this fourth or fifth week for us would be to provide an opportunity for a handful, maybe more, whoever would be interested, of our guests who are here really investigating and their host, whoever might have bring, brought them, if somebody brought them, or you. And what we're going to do is we're going to have us a, a big circle or whatever, how many people come. We'll make it as, as close as possible. And I'm going to sit here just to have a Q&A time, just to interact and talk on a personal level. Uh, this would not be to try to, you know, convince me of something or me to convince you. This is just a time for us to get our questions out and do it in a little bit more intimate setting that uh, would be for those who really are here for that reason. So uh, I want you to know any of these questions that come out of John, I may start with them and just for a few minutes and then move right into your questions. But this is going to be just a, a small time. We won't have the stage and all this. It's just a time for a Q&A. I want to get a little closer to the, the people to, that are asking the questions and so forth, if that's okay with you, all right? And we, if it goes 10 minutes, it goes 10 minutes. If it goes the whole time, it goes the whole time. It, it doesn't matter to me. I just want to make sure that we're really giving you an opportunity to feel uh, comfortable asking questions. Hi. Um, I came here a couple of weeks ago, and it's, it's very nice. Um, I've been going to another church, and um, what I'm wondering is, I'm sure there's not a whole lot of gays and lesbians here, and I'm not. I'm married, but I like feeling like everybody is welcome, and I'm wondering, is that no or yes or uh, well, whoever an, you are? That's an easy question to answer, and uh, we have gays and lesbians here, I bet, every single week. I don't meet somebody who says they are every week, but from time to time I do. And they are as welcome and special and as important to us as anybody. And there are Muslims that come, and they'll say, I'm a Muslim. Uh, am I welcome? I said, are you welcome here? Man, bring all your friends. We would love to have you here. Absolutely. There is no sense of discrimination again. Because see, here's the thing. It, it, and I, I've tried to say this. If you look into my heart, you're going to find bad stuff. You know, there are different expressions. Am I going to say if God says something's wrong that in my life it's wrong? Yeah, I'm not going to say it's not wrong because I'm doing it. But it, it, you got something wrong and you got something. I don't think any of us say we're perfect. So, okay, then let's all work on the same. We believe there's one solution to the problem of all of our lives. So let's meet and try to discuss if you believe God's word and you want to hear what God has to say, this would be a place to come. If you say, I don't really believe God's word, I don't want, then I'd go somewhere else. If you're looking for answers, I wouldn't come here. But, you know, but we say absolutely. We would welcome any and everybody. Good. Let's put a, a question up from uh, maybe one of the last weeks or maybe some of you this week. And by the way, I should have said this already. You can go online uh, to our, can we put our thing up, ask any questions here? Uh, you can text them in or you can, um, there's the text number, or you can email the question, and they'll go right back to the board, and so forth. And so feel free to be doing that if you would like. 
And, and this time of questioning is for our seekers. It's not for the Christian community to ask the questions that they've always wanted to ask. This would be for the seeking community to ask, okay? Let's put one up that uh, we have. Which of the major versions of the Bible do you recommend for seekers? Oh, I've never been asked that question. Um, you, you know, there are three or so, in my opinion, of the better, uh, the best translations, my opinion. I would say the NES, the, the New English Version, is a, is a very excellent, uh, more recent version that's come out, a New American Standard Version, uh, NASB. I've, that's something that I've used since I was in college, and I'm so familiar with it, I still use it. It's a very good translation. Uh, the NIV, uh, those are just initials that are used, the uh, uh, New International Version, it's, a, it's another good version. Uh, so any of those would be fine. If as a seeker you wanted to use something like the message, which is not a, and if you were here for week, uh, number, two, uh, week number two, where I talked about the difference between a, a translation and a paraphrase, that would be a paraphrase that makes it really simple for the seeker. Yeah, perfectly fine to use that as you're trying to, to read and figure it out. So uh, that's a good question. All right, back to the floor. Anything you'd like to ask here? All right, right here. Hi, my question is that if morality is supposed to be objective and it's supposed to exceed the properties of space and time and be as fundamental as mathematics and logic, then how come the ethics and morality of the Old Testament can be so radically different than that of the New Testament? Good question. Why would it, why do you see something that seems so different from the old into the new? Great question. What you have in the Old Testament is a law that was given as the Bible begins, there are creation mandates, meaning those are things for everybody. And there are several little creation mandates. I'm not gonna go into it, it'd be way too long to discuss. But there are certain things. We said that just is for everybody for all time. Then what you come to is you have the giving of the law. And that's under Moses, who was the, the leader of Israel at the time. And Moses receives the law, and what he gets are what's called the Ten Commandments. Well, at this point, you've moved into where you have a theocracy. Very important. Theos means God. A theocracy is ruled by God. So in essence, God is the king of a people that he has called to himself, if the Bible's accurate. They're the Israelites, the people of Israel. And he is the king in a theocracy. So he gives what is the moral law, all right? And then after the moral law, through Moses, he then gives ceremonial laws, and he also gives uh, uh, what would be uh, civil laws. And this was for the people of Israel only. This was for a particular people for a particular time. When Jesus comes, now Jesus has to address this issue of the law, and he looks back to explain that Oh, as we look at the moral law, there's not anything that is to be removed or that we say no longer is valid in that regard. But what you see is that anything in the civil law, anything that's in the ceremonial law, those things are to be disbanded because that was for a people called Israel who has now been replaced with Gentiles and Jewish people in what he calls the church. And now we see in Romans 13 that all of the nations, they have their own law and that we're to submit to them as if it's the law of God given to them. So you have many of these laws that were ceremonial, many of these laws that were civil laws, 
that would be much indifferent than what we would say in America or France or Italy or wherever it may be, and we're to obey these laws, these are not just done away with, they are fulfilled in Jesus. And that's the, the teaching that Jesus gave of himself, that those are not to be followed in that same way. Like you, got, you can't do this, uh, you, you gotta wash this, you gotta kill this animal, all that, all that stuff. No, 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 that stuff's gone. This is what is. So that, there's a progression of the law, but there is an understanding of the time given for that specific type of law. That's a little complicated, made simple as I can make it, but so you will see some things, but you got to identify are those parts of the civil and the, or the ceremonial. That's, that would be the real issue. There's also one other factor. There is a progression of understanding where the law was made a little bit, what I'm going to say, um, a little, the law that's there in the Old Testament is now made more specific in the New Testament as it's described, and we get some description given to it. So there's some change that takes place in that regard. But otherwise, we would say the two very much are complementary of each other. All right? All right, you want to go to the, the screen? What's the point in living a satisfied life if you're just going to die anyway? Oh, well, you know the way I would answer, that's a great question. That is a good question, isn't it? Yeah, why, why would you? Well, here's the deal. If I can live life for 70 years or 80 years or 90, whatever might be a, a natural span of life these days, if I were to live a life for that long and there's nothing afterwards, nothing, I can either live that life because I'm going to die for sure. I can live that life satisfied or I can live that life with a lot of dissatisfaction. I would not say, well, I might as well live it dissatisfied because I'm going to die anyway. I'd go, hey, no, if, if life only goes around once, get all the gusto you can get, let's find what that got, where the gusto comes from. If it comes from partying, living, whatever, if it, if it comes from religion or particularly more in one religion than the other, I want to be satisfied. So I would say that's, that's, a, that's good enough right there. But then there's the other element. If we believe that we don't just die, but there's life that follows eternally, as Jesus certainly believed, if he was right on that, then you would say, I want to factor that in too. And even if I would find myself finding greater pleasure for the moment, and I don't even trust God that, that, that really I would find greater deep depth of, of, uh, of satisfaction by obeying him, I would say, you know what? I want to obey him anyway. Because if he loves me enough to accept me, Man, I want to do, it's kind of like with, with Carol, my wife. I love Carol to death. She's, she's, I could not have been given a, a greater wife. And there are things, like last night, she left to take three grandkids, uh, or, or she left with the grandkids uh, with me, and, and, and she said, I've got to go so-and-so, would you watch the grandkids? And I said, sure. Now, that was dangerous for the kids, but we decided we'd give it a try. So she leaves, not going to be long. And I looked, and there was all of the food. I had to feed the kids. Carol had fixed it. All that was out there. And I looked at the biggest mess. And I know that I could just let that go, and Carol would think, I'm just keeping the kids and so forth. But as I'm trying to play with the kids, I'm cleaning up the... Do you know the only reason that I cleaned it up? It wasn't going to cause Carol to love me anymore. It was not going to cause... I know all that. Been, everything would have been fine. She wouldn't have said a word. But I thought, you know what? I'd like to do that. She'll have to come home and do that. Well, why would I want to do that? Because I love her. 
The same way if I have a love relationship with God and he says, this is what I'm really asking of you. And I go, well, you know what? I'm not sure cleaning up is going to make me enjoy the next 30 minutes better. But you know what? It would delight her. And because I love her, that delights me. So we find our delight in his delight. So that would be a, a reason for that. All right. Let's take uh, another one from the floor. And I need, uh, what's the time too? Can we get the time? Two minutes, all right? This will be the last one. We'll take this one last question. Good. Um, Randy, if the Bible has been changed several times, how do we know we're actually following the right version of the Bible? All right. Uh, we, I, I think I talked with you. It's Michael, right? Yes. I talked to you a little earlier, just greeted you when we came in. I think you said you've been here two weeks. I bet you missed the one on Is the Bible God's Word? The, the, you, did you miss that week? Yes. If you'll do this, if you'll go back on the if answers, perimeter.org slash if answers, I give a long answer to that question that I think would be more satisfying than me trying to cap it in 30 seconds here. Would that be okay? Yes, sir. All right. And if you have trouble with that, come next week and we'll talk about it more in detail. All right. Very good. All right. We're going to close our time here and just say thank you for, you know, coming and uh, I hope it's been beneficial for you. Uh, if you would like and come next week, it would be a delight for me to spend this time just getting to know you and listening to your questions and interacting on more, maybe a deeper level or more personal level, whatever you'd like. Uh, if nobody shows up, my feelings won't be hurt. I'll have a free hour and I'll say, okay. So uh, don't worry. You come if you'd like to, but I hope it'll be beneficial to you. All right. So let's pray. Let me one last time pray for you. And let me say this. I would encourage you if you think there's merit in what you've heard of the faith of Christianity, there are two exposures that you've got to keep going. It's exposure to God's word and it's exposure to God's people. You want those two. That's, the, that's what's going to help you the most. So where you can hear good teaching of the, of the word of God, where you can be around people that you say, hey, this is somebody I like and they're... they're I, I, they're attractive enough in the way their person is and who they are and how they, I would not mind spending some time around them. Then put yourself close where you can get to know the questions that you have to ask them and this, that, and the other. That's what's going to take you further. We love to help in this church any way we possibly can. So know that uh, my passion and interest, I, I honestly say this, this is true. My interest is more to be in this room with you than to be over there in the big room speaking to a lot more people because I know there's a plenty of opportunities for them. There are not many good opportunities for people like us here saying, I really want to investigate. So uh, I hope this has been beneficial and uh, look forward to helping any way we can. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the uh, privilege to be able to make some new friends, to be able to interact with those that are investigating. I pray that you will have used this now to, to show whether you are who you claim to be. And uh, Lord, if you're not, then I'm not speaking to anyone anyway. But as I speak to you, believing that you are, I pray that you would make it clear, make it real, make it something that's desirable, that people here might one day enjoy a relationship with their creator. So thank you for this time, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.